St. Mark, the eighth chapter. I'm sure you won't have any trouble hearing me. Your problem was with Brother Tiller here, you was used to a loud mouth, and he wasn't loud. That was your problem, see. He was probably coming through, <laughs> but you was just used to more noise. <laughs> 34th verse of the 8th chapter of St. Mark. 34th verse of the 8th chapter of St. Mark. Read you some real old scriptures. That's pretty close to where Brother Tiller was at in his message Sunday night. Some of the same scriptures we'll be reading, but we won't be using those particular scriptures. Simply says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That kind of rings in the same line that Brother King was talking about. You do have to suffer. It is a little bit hard to deny yourself. Take up a cross. A cross is something that uh, we don't like to do. And then he says, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's sake shall save it. For what shall it profit a man? He shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Father, breathe upon your word tonight. Settle it within your, our hearts, Father. Let us get a glimpse, Master, of what you want to portray to us tonight, and we'll honor you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. To me, when God was dealing with me on this subject, subject, I thought what an odd subject for a Bible study or for a Wednesday night service. Because we're going to be dealing with the question, what is the worth of a soul? Or what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And of course, I doubt seriously that I'm speaking to any sinners tonight. So you would think that a message like this with a question like this should at least be directed to sinners perhaps in the house. But I was watching on television, I believe it was Monday night, I'm not sure the night, I believe it was, and on there was a program starring Sammy Davis Jr. He was portraying a demon in hell that wanted to wanted the job of getting another man who was portrayed by Jack Klugman to sell his soul to the devil. Although this was comical to watch, and a lot of things that just nothing serious about it whatsoever, and I idled away the time and read some, and then it wasn't hard to catch up with it. But in spite of that, something troubled me. I'm not used to being troubled by programs. I can watch any of them. My wife don't like to watch certain ones. She don't like the uh, scary type and some of the serious type and... Uh, some of the type where there's rape and murder and what have you. But television programs rarely ever trouble me at all. I realize that they're fiction. I realize that there's probably a lot of truth in them, but they don't bother me. But something troubled me the rest of the night. I slept fitfully, 
And something continued to trouble me the day after. And what was it? I kept asking myself, what is it about this that is causing me so many problems? Why is it disturbing my sleep? Why is it disturbing me? Why am I allowing this program, which is really, in about five minutes you could tell it, just a man, or supposedly a demon in hell, wanting to get the job of causing somebody else to sell his soul to the devil. And a lot of laughs and whatever you went with it. And then it struck me, though this was a comedy, though this was a make-believe, struck truth, it stuck uh, home a truth in my heart. I hope tonight in yours, one that's hard to accept, but nevertheless, a truth. It simply spoke to me that we as Christians take lightly our soul and the soul of others. Church has become a playground or a habit or a happenstance instead of a learning sinner and a birthing sinner. And somehow we don't seem to, and I think perhaps we may feel we do, I did, and perhaps we may feel as if we're taking seriously the ploys of Satan to get a person to sell their soul. And I don't believe we take seriously the finality of it when the deal is made when they do. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? What is there that could purchase a lost soul? Tonight, that question I would like for it to ring in your heart, and I pray to God that some way I can reach into your heart as God reached into mine and maybe cause you to have a new vision on what the salvation of a soul actually means and what a wonderful privilege it is tonight that yours has been saved by the precious blood of the Lamb and what a serious thing it is if you could be tricked by the powers of hell and lose it. Not long after that I read about a famous Asiatic warrior pronounced his name Saladin, after conquering and establishing himself as the Sultan of Egypt and of Syria, taking town after town without number, this man retook Jerusalem from the hands of the Crusaders, and certainly was a great man, but he had to, in the final analysis, yield his soul to a still greater and mightier conqueror than his, death. There came a time when his soul was required of him. This man, as the story goes, had had the chance of being introduced to Christianity. He had been told about the Lord Jesus Christ, the saving grace of God, introduced to what everlasting and eternal life is. But he felt as if his life as it was at that time mattered more. He knew the mockery that would incur. He knew a lot of the things that he was going to have to give up. 
and a power that he was going to have to relinquish, and he just could not see himself giving over his rulership, giving up his authority, giving up the pride that the Muslims had in him at that time, seemingly for his soul. Story goes on to say, and it is his true story, that a few moments before he was called upon to breathe his last, this hero of the Third Crusade ordered his captain to hang on the point of his lance that had killed so many people, that had made him a great warrior, that had caused people to look up to him, and that had brutalized so many people and made widows out of so many ladies had him to hang on the end of this lance that took a lot of lives, the shroud that he was going to be buried in. And as that captain of his held up that lance with the shroud he was going to be buried in, this man rose up, and these were his last words. Look, soldiers. Look, people that I have conquered. Look, everyone here is... Salander the Great, the conqueror, the emperor, and this that you say hanging on the end of my lance is all of his glory that he's going to be able to take with him. And something stirred over in my heart and made me realize tonight all the honor and the riches of this world, all the bodily pleasures and gratifications that we hold and esteem highly, all the earthly fame, fortune, and greatness are reduced by death to the casket and to the clothes that we are buried in. It all boils down again to the question, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? And it still cries out for some reason God ordained it. For us to be challenged by that question tonight, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Tonight, if you will allow me a little time as I take my time, let's get the full force of this question. Let's for one time at least face up to the fact that this is not fantasy we're living in. This is a world filled with sin and degradation, and there's an adversary out to conquer our very soul and destroy it. This is not fiction. This is not something in a dream world. This is a reality. And the words that Jesus Christ spoke there in Mark 10 is still a reality. And the question is so real to our life and so pertinent to us tonight. Is there anything worth a soul? I think perhaps we know the answer in a sense. But let's ask ourselves, what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall it profit him if he gratifies some vile lust and lose his own soul? What will it profit him if he drinks the intoxicating drinks of pleasure and lose his own soul? What profits an individual if he shoots up in his veins that dope and lose his own soul? Of what profit is it if he consumes alcohol until he drowns in it or is destroyed by liver ailments, if he loses his own soul? What profit is it, is it if he builds castles, if he works his life away, if he puts the savings in the bank, 
has more than he'll ever spend in his lifetime. Of what profit is that if he loses his own soul while this is happening? I think perhaps we might stand challenged. I doubt seriously any of us shoots dope. I doubt seriously there's a one here that takes alcohol. But friends, sometimes we do drink the intoxicating pleasures of this life and esteem them so high that it does interfere with our living a Christian life and interferes with our reaching souls. And you might ask yourself, what is a soul worth out here? Is there a value we can place upon one that we pass along our highway? Can we actually put a price upon a soul that we rub shoulders with and work day by day? Actually, when we pass them by without a word to the Lord Jesus Christ, what price have we put on that soul? Is it a worthless thing? Is it something that we pass by and we'll never meet it? I think those questions are pertinent to us today. What shall it profit a man if he gains the companionship of this world? A lot of people sell their souls just for fluency. They sell their souls just to be liked by somebody. Sell their soul just to be in the in crowd. What did it gain a man if he wins the smiles and the favor of the great ones in this earth and still by doing this lose his own soul? Of what profit is there for that? And what profit is it? We having found the salvation of our souls, having felt the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ come down one day and wash us from our filthy self and clean us up and set us on the solidity of the solid rock. And we can stand and testify and lift our hands to glory and feel the presence of God. At what profit it is this to us if we gain no soul for anybody else or anybody else's soul? What value is the soul to us tonight? Now you've got to remember, and this hit home to me, I could turn off the television Go to sleep and say, this is just a little funny thing. But friend, in the final analysis, it's a reality. Although this man was an actor, there are demon forces of hell that shoot darts and plague his soul and try to find it at its weakest moment to destroy it. Try to find man when everything has gone wrong. When sickness perhaps and his health is gone and his money is gone and all of this, and he's down in his weakest moment, there is a demon force that comes in and says, if you'll sell your soul to me, things will be different. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but a lot of people have, and a lot of things are different. I've seen individuals that's knowing God. They've had trials, they've had troubles, they've had pitfalls, and they've had snares. But they still, in spite of all of that, had their soul in the reasoning of Almighty God's hands. And then I've watched them. I have one particular individual in mind, which is an acquaintance or an uncle of my wife's. And at his weakest moment, powers of hell shot a dart in his soul, found him, and said, if you just turn away from your God, you'll just get away from this, that you're living this type of religion, if you just some way lose that and become intoxicated with other things, you'll find favor with other individuals and things will turn around for you. And this man did. I doubt seriously that he ever thought that he was selling his soul for a mess of pottage, but he was. It wasn't long after that until the man was hired. 
placed and given a job reading blueprints. He didn't never read a blueprint in his life. Didn't know anything about it, but hired in like that. That individual next to him was a good blueprint reader. Found out he couldn't read them instead of telling on him, took him under his wing. And the first thing you know, this man, which a month before was suffering under the oppressive heel of the devil, had now rid himself of all of these things seemingly and he was a man making money. He's still a man making money. But at the expense of his soul, of his son's soul, and of his wife's soul, and also of his relative's soul, what is a soul worth tonight? Am I reaching you? I wish I, I, wish I am. I hope I'm some way reaching into your heart and in your soul to make you realize that the devil will catch you at your weakest moment. I remember the time when I lay ill with a heart attack for eight years. I never was under such attack in my life. To give it up, he says. And he came in the form of ministers. He came in the form of saints. He came in the form of a well-wisher. And he said, give it up. If some way you'll just give it up, he was saying in essence, then things will be easier for you. And you don't know at the time and I just wanted to lay it down and say, God, if this is what it is, then I don't want any part of it. That something stirred in the inner course of my soul. And that question rang out, what's my soul worth? Friend, it's worth more to me than any sorrow. It's worth more to me than any riches, or worldly acclaim or intellect. And it's my life. Hallelujah. There's nothing outside of that. And then my soul, of course, was important. But some way, the importance of our own soul can never be reached until we feel the importance of other souls around us. That's doomed. That has no chance. That's felt the fiery darts of the enemy and felt the oppressing blows of Satan and the demonic forces of hell is out beginning to sell his soul by a little bit of nothing. You pleasures of this world. That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Who can answer questions like this? I think perhaps if we some way tonight could project our thinking and can tune our ears in for what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment, and realize this is not a fantasy, this is not a fairy tale, that there is an actual judgment awaiting, and somewhere if we could somewhere advance our thinking and tune our ears to the noise that's being made there, we're going to hear those that's cast into outer darkness. Hear the voice of the Master. It's going to happen one of these days. As he says, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Now, I don't know if you realize what that's saying or not, but God is actually saying, I never at any time had an intimate relationship with you. I've said it before and I want to say it again. No in the Bible doesn't mean what no in our English language means. No in the Bible means intimacy with somebody. He'll check out through your Bible, Old Testament, new alike, when it says, And Jacob knew his wife, Isaac knew his wife, 
Hannah knew his wife. In other words, that was saying they had intimate relationships with their wife. And Jesus is saying to those professors of religion, those individuals that had a playground out of a reality of God, and he was saying to them, I never had any time had an intimate relationship with you. All I ever knew was a shallowness of what you had for me and what I had for you. And he's saying to them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And he cast them out into outer darkness. I'm sure if we could stand there with our imagination tonight, we'll hear the cries of them as they ascend into the blackness of that abyss and ask them the question, What would a man give in exchange for his soul? I say, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? I'm sure you would hear voice after voice crying out, nothing, nothing, nothing. There is no profit, no profit whatsoever. Worldly acclaim might have came, but now it's gone. Greed might have furnished us many advantages. Might have made us a good bank account, but in death it means nothing. We might have amassed a fortune, or we might not have. Friend, but we know our source. And once death comes, that's all. As far as worldly acclaim is concerned, our material things is concerned. But friend, when a child of God that has known God, had us laid it on the line and told the devil, it's God and nothing but God, regardless of what you do to me. Say as though, though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. And lay it on the line when the last breath leaves our body, we have salvaged our soul for an eternity with Almighty God. And nothing else matters. It becomes a serious thing. When we view it in the main of those analyses. The loss of a soul is extensive. What I mean by that, there's no loss with any greater overwhelming power than the loss of a soul. Nothing can qualify it. Nothing can mitigate it. It's the loss of all losses and the death of all deaths. And I think some way, and I'm stirred in this, and I'm troubled in this, I haven't had some good nights because of this, I think of some way or somehow we can realize the finality of a soul that leaves this world and don't know God. What a loss. I don't think we could take casually the grace of God. I don't take, think we could take with our lethargy and undone conditions souls that go out to meet their Maker every day without the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And have never whispered a prayer. And they do this, saints, while we gather together and feel the presence of God and shake hands with one another, and in visitation with one another, and go and live our lives so callously and so indifferent. They go out and they lose everything they were born to have. God, touch our consciousness tonight. 
God stir our soul inside of us tonight and let us realize it's important that we be saved. But we'll never fulfill our purpose until we have some sheaves to bring in to the presence of God. You can't measure the worth of a soul in dollars. You can't measure it in worldly acclaim and wisdom. There is no price that you can put on a soul. One that is lost is a catastrophe unequaled in its extent. Unparalleled in the universe of God. So extensive that there's no calling back. When a soul passes over into eternity and breathes his last breath, has never confessed Jesus Christ as his Savior, he's lost. And all the praying in this world that we do then can never bring him back. The loss of a soul is a loss without compensation. I read not long ago about a great fire in London that consumed 600 streets, burnt them up, 13,000 dwelling places and 90 churches. And yet out of this calamity, was a blessing as the city was rebuilt better than ever before houses was rebuilt better than ever before and churches greater than ever before had better sanitary systems and ended the plague that was ruining England at that time they was compensated for their loss as great as it was when a man loses his eyesight He's compensated with that. He doesn't get it back, but there's compensation in that. Has so much that his hearing becomes more acute. Takes over the position of his eyes. When a deaf mute is compensated also, when he loses those things, his sight becomes quickened. And there's something compensating about it. And if a man is both blind and dumb, he's compensated with a more sensitive touch. But the loss of a soul. There's no compensation for the loss of a soul. Nothing can counteract this and nothing can make amends for it. Somebody's going to hell tonight. Almost every hour and every moment somebody is leaving this life untouched by the gospel and the hearing of the truth of Almighty God and the chance of salvation for a soul. Somebody has never been touched by a righteous life. They've been touched by a lot of words, by a lot of talk in Christian lives, but somewhere, somehow, a life has failed to be lived in a manner that would touch a soul. And that soul leaves this world untouched by the majesty from on high. Cry as we might, weep as we might, disappointment floods our soul and bitterness within. There's nothing we can do to compensate for a soul. It's gone.
and the loss is irreparable. You can't repair or make a recompense for a lost soul. You might lose a, a friendship sometime, and if, if you work on it, there's always a chance that you can get that friendship back. You might lose your health. At some time with proper treatment, you'll have a chance of getting that back. Or you may lose your property, and always there's a chance that you'll get that back. But there's no repair for a broken soul. There's nothing that can take the place of a loss of a soul. That loss is final. No recompense. Can't be retrieved. It can't be recalled. It is final. And probably the most fearful words in our English language comes true right then. When a soul leaves the world and says the harvest is past, the summer is ended and we are not saved. When, when I am forced by God to stand and look upon the human race and its calamity, the downfalls and sufferers of sin and oppression, and know that God had a remedy for it all, and know that the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was shed for every man, woman, boy, or girl in this entire universe. And see the percentage of 9% of the whole universe finding salvation in God. It brings a challenge and a chill. It runs up and down my spine. The reason it does is because I see parents losing children. Because somewhere or somehow it doesn't sink into our heart that now is the time of salvation. Now is the day that you win the soul. Now is the time of intercessory prayer and a righteous life and God above everything else. Not tomorrow, it's now. The greatest tragedy I've ever had in 30 some odd years of ministry is watching individuals come into the house of God after their children have become teenagers or older and feeling their life changed and knowing what they've done and yet seeing the life of their children go on just like it always did because it was a little late to change it. overdose of drugs because they didn't have time for them. Of course, fun and games are more important than God's Word and prayer in the house of God. I watched them lose them by the thousands, killed in accidents, and stand and minister the funeral, and mom and dad filled with the Holy Ghost, and yet failed to touch the palate of their child, and they finally realized that their last chance was gone 
Johnny and Jeannie were scared there wasn't any chance of reaching them anymore. They lay silent in the grave and never took Christ as their Savior, no recalling for his soul. Because something inside didn't click beyond the fact that we'd always have some tomorrows, or always have some next days, that it's not really as serious as that hellfire and brimstone preacher says it is. God is a kind God, and He is. He's allowed us so much, and He gave His blood in His life, but He laid down a specific plan and said, this is the way it's got to be. And yet souls sleep on. Church world wheels and rocks. The world teeters on the brink of disaster. And God's people still backslap one another, pat one another on the back, and feel that it's good just to have the blessings of one another. And all the time a soul is going out to burn in eternities of hell. Never been touched because we've forgotten the road. And we've forgotten why we're here in the first place. Somebody say, Amen, it's so. It's a challenging, sober thought that I'd rather not face up with, but I have to, and so do you. It's something that God has laid slap dab at our feet and laid the responsibility of reaching humanity upon us. And let us know that there's nothing else to do. I wonder sometimes when you hear that the harvest is past, the summer is ended and we are not saved. I looked at that and I thought, God, what a word to be sound in the ear of the lost. Not only to cry it, but to people stand there and hear it. And he spoke real gently and real softly, but yet real firmly to my heart. And he said, the lost is not the only ones that's going to hear it. Those that have had their soul redeemed and salvaged from the pits of hell are going to hear those same cries. And guilt is going to flood their soul if they're responsible. Although they'll be saved, there's still a loss in their life. I thought of those that had forfeited the light that shined down from God out of heaven. Those that stood there and heard the last words of God and not a thing they could say. Remember the parable? When Christ asked that individual, why are you here without a wedding garment? And it said the man was speechless. He stood before just God and he knew there's nothing he could say that would make any difference. God had kept the record and it was just. And he didn't have anything to say. Remember now, there'll be a time when these individuals forfeited the light from heaven, cast out or consigned forever into the uh, sunless region where the blackness and darkness of that region reach out to grasp their soul, where their only companionship will be that of devils and demons and that of the damned. The only voices they'll hear will be the cries of the damned as they cry out in utter misery and pain and woe and they'll hear nothing else. These individuals that could have had the chance to hear the light of God and know the light of God and see the glory of God and watch a life live victorious 
Yet they're not there anymore. All they have is a sunless region of darkness. All the companionship they have is with demons and devils and all they'll hear is the voice of the damned as the soul sinks deeper and deeper into the bottomless pit of misery when a worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Yes, that's still a question. And it's still a pertinent question. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And some way tonight, we have to be forced into the reality of what is happening. We stand on the basis of God's promises. But a lot of God's promises is if. That little word in there changes the complexion of it all. A lot of God's promises to us for the most part are conditional promises as He says, I will if you will. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I believe God promises us those that are ours. But sometimes we can sit down in the easy chair of relaxivity. Sit down relaxed while the world goes by. Look at our youngsters and watch them go and do things they oughtn't to do and never say a word about it and never bend a knee in much more than a five-minute prayer. Send up a 13-cent prayer and expect God to do a million dollars worth. And God is telling us they're ours if we have paid a price for them, if we'll claim them, if we'll bow knee to intercessory prayer, if we'll get a hold of the horns of the altar and stay there, He'll make a difference in their lives. But He cannot and He will not do it until some way the passivity of humanity passes away and the reality of what is happening enters into our heart and into our life. And we come to face to face with the reality that when it's lost, there's no retrieving it, there's no calling it back, there's no compensation for it. It's just gone. God. Without God, without hope, no chance again. The light of God's glorious beauty. Saddest of all, not another chance to press them to a bosom, bow our knee continually, in spite of the opposition. Grab hold of the horns of the altar and claim their life. Not another opportunity to live an overcoming life. So overcoming that lives and sin could see it. Not another opportunity to witness. Harvest is past and the summer is ended. And we are not saved. Now I know tonight that there's individuals here
Let's live your life the best you can. Your children's still out there. I know that. I'm also aware that it would be easy to sit down and rest on the merits and laurels of yesterday and put them on their own. But if we do, they'll go to hell. The responsibility never leaves the life of a praying mom or dad. The intercessory prayer, getting a hold of their horns to the altar, pleading for their life day in and day out, and living the life without reproach, and never letting them or anybody else hear you say one bad word about God or His children. Never allow them to hear you say one thing that would tear down a life. I don't think I'm done. Because something in here has touched my life. There's a change in my life, my attitude. Nine one. Raised my children right, and all of them but one seem to be walking the right way. This one's going every way but the right way. I know I've told my wife, they know better. It's their life, they're going to have to live it. And it's easy just to sit down on those merits. But something struck a chord in my soul. I and my wife birthed this child and brought it into being. And if I can help it, no power of hell is going to destroy its soul. But it's not easy. And it's not a weekly or a monthly thing. It's a daily thing. Daily prayer. Daily correction. Daily witness. You don't have to preach a sermon, but you do have to witness. And you don't have to worry about them getting tired of listening to you. Ask them about their soul and God are coming to the house of God. Remember one of the parables? Because they continued to weary me, <laughs> this judge says, I'm going to do it. All right? Our problem is we need to face up we don't have a television program out there. It's not something we can turn off. You make it turn out just right. It's a reality. This is an arena. Powers of hell's everywhere. And whether it's in the abysses or wherever it is, there's demon forces under the headship of Satan or Lucifer himself. He's got an eye on every unstable soul ready to destroy it at its weakest moment. It can't help itself at that time, but you can. Will you stand? I'd like tonight some way for us to leave here and say, God, I'm redoubling my efforts. 
I'm praying more and I'm praying longer. And you're going to become first in everything that goes on in my house. You're going to be first. I'm warning you, saints. I wish there was more here that had children at home. Mine's gone. But I'm warning you, you can lose them to the world by letting them feed off of the world. You can lose them to them. And then when you want to reclaim them, time might have passed you by. Meet with me up here, will you?